You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast. Glad to have you along with us on this Tuesday. Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com. You see him there on the screen. We got Grant Ramey. We got Matt Ray. We got Rob Lewis. Lots to get into in this edition of the podcast. Be sure and hit that like button on YouTube. Get this thing up to 500 likes. Also, be sure and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you're not a subscriber to VolQuest.com, you're missing out on tons of recruiting coverage, basketball coverage, Football coverage, a great discussion about everything going on in the world of Tennessee athletics and college athletics in general. All right, guys, let's get this started. We're going to start with a little basketball talk out of the gate. Um, We'll try to get that one out of the way, Grant, and and cleanse everybody's mouth of that, whatever that was on Saturday with Tennessee and Kentucky. We talked about it a bit on the Rewind um, on Sunday night with Rob, what, what was your take on what was an unexpected loss? Look, you're not going to go unbeaten in SEC play, but nobody, I don't think, saw that one coming, Grant. No, I mean, Rob wrote it in the, the weekly 3 2 when he posted today. Uh, massive missed opportunity. Uh, Chris Lofton getting his jersey retired, sold out crowd. You beat Kentucky how many times at home under Rick? Five times in seven or eight tries at this point. Uh, just and, and a Kentucky team that came in limping. I mean, you beat South Carolina by 43 in Columbia uh, a week before. South Carolina went to Kentucky, beat Kentucky. Looked like a Kentucky team that, I mean, I'd never seen that little amount of blue in Thompson Bowling Arena. That's always a game where Kentucky fans travel. It's always a situation where they're going to make their presence known, and they weren't there, and, and Tennessee didn't show up either. And you can't get whipped on the glass like they did, 43-23. Can't go three for 21 from the three-point line. You can't miss point-blank miss layups like they did. It looked like they were tight, looked like they were rushed, looked like they just got outplayed, out-hustled, out-manned, whatever it was. I mean, Kentucky's got a lot of talent. It, it hasn't made sense all year that it hasn't clicked. And on Saturday, they found a way to make it click. Yeah, and, and Rob, it just – I mean, the physicality part for Tennessee, we talked about it on the Rewind, getting getting shoved around on the glass, you know, and getting out-rebounded by 20 is just uh, – that, that's the biggest head-scratcher, but then you throw in a 9 of 31 when you talk about Santi and um, uh, Tyreek Key and, and Zakai Ziegler. I mean, that's a head-scratcher, too. I know this is not they're not going to shoot it great every night, but 9 of 31 plus out-rebounded by 20 is a bad, bad recipe for basketball. Yeah, and 3 of 21 from, from three-point range. It's just – I mean, there, there are all kinds of numbers that, that sum up, you know, how bad Tennessee got whipped. 13 offensive rebounds to four is is a big one. Um, just, I mean, so many things that Tennessee did. They, they turned – Kentucky turned it over eight eight more times in Tennessee. Tennessee held Kentucky to 35% shooting. I mean, all those numbers, you know, point to Tennessee winning the game. It just it, – it's a broken record. But when you get just absolutely manhandled like they did on the glass, it's it almost doesn't matter what else you do when you create that many extra possessions um, for the opposition – and I, you know, it's basketball is a long season. Some of these crazy things happen, but there that was the that was a very big missed opportunity, 
and there's no way to sugarcoat it. All right, so so that one is is a missed opportunity. You got to flush Grant and move forward. What 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 is it about this team that you like about them moving forward? How many more red flags do you have about this team because of Saturday, or is it just a hey, that's a basketball deal? They are who they are. That there's enough evidence out there for them to be who they are, and that's a top five, top seven team nationally, and, and everything's okay. I, I, the thing that the red, the biggest red flag is Saturday felt like last March all over again. That game plan that Kentucky had going in looks exactly like that Michigan game plan that we saw in Indianapolis, where they're going to guard the three point line heavily. They're going to let Urosh spin on the block a million times if he wants to spin on the block and score 20 points if he wants to. I mean, Calipari said after the game they didn't feel like Tennessee could beat them making twos. Tennessee could beat them making threes, and they guard the three-point line uh, to not let that happen. That That's the biggest red flag because you got to find a way when people are focused on the perimeter to still hit your shots and still get guys open and to make it. I mean, you can't just – you can't go three for 21. That's, that's a recipe – for disaster. What I like about the team moving forward is they usually respond pretty well from being humbled and they're going out of town for a couple of games or going to Mississippi state, a team they beat really you know, beat down pretty badly a couple of weeks ago at Thompson bowling arena. It's a team that's lost five out of six since they started 11. Oh, it seems like they're struggling pretty heavily. It's a building where Tennessee's had success in recent years under Rick Barnes. So it's good for them to get out of town probably. And, and to be humbled a little bit and to, to get on a plane and, and fly out somewhere and, and try to win a basketball game. And then you go to LSU Saturday, same situation where, LSU's struggling. They haven't played good basketball. I think they've lost four in a row at this point. It's another winnable road game. So to get out of town twice this week, you got to go pick up a couple big wins, kind of reset and, and, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. All right, Matt, jump on in here too. You know plenty about basketball. I know you don't cover them on a daily basis, but you know plenty about the game of hoops as all of us do. All of you jump in here and answer this question because this is my question about this team. When Grant, building off what you're talking about, the Michigan plan, taking away the three-point line, you're three of 21 and you're not shooting it well. How does Tennessee combat offensively on nights where they don't shoot it well from the perimeter? What What is the answer when the three-point shot's not falling for Tennessee? Matt, let, let's uh, – any of you guys, just jump on in here. Yeah, I think for me, the you know, Rob talked about several different stats reflecting the night. Kentucky went 22 of 25 from the free throw line. Tennessee shot 10 free throws. You, know, you got to find a way when that perimeter shot's not falling. You have to find a way to attack the hoop. If they're defending the three-point line that hard, get somebody in the air, go around, at least make an attempt, you know, to get to the rim and try to, to get an easy look from the free-throw line because, and I think anybody will tell you this, it's play basketball, especially a shooter. The best thing you can do is see the ball go through the hoop, and, and what better way to do that uncontested than at the free-throw line. Does this yeah. roster does this roster have a guy who can do that, Rob Grant? I mean, Julian Phillips has got to have more than two shots in a game. I mean, he's too talented. We saw it against USC. I know he dealt with foul trouble and his minutes were a little bit limited. That's another thing. These guys can't get in early foul trouble. I mean, people can complain about the officiating all they want, but Santi's picked up a couple early fouls a few times this year. Julian's done it. He's a freshman. Maybe you expect that. But at some point, they got to stop fouling early. Julian's got to get more shots. He's that guy that can get to the free throw line more than anybody on the team, and that's a good that's a good point Matt made. You can't have those numbers be that lopsided, especially when you're the home team in that situation. But I, I do think Tennessee, even if they take away the perimeter, an opponent does, they can beat you with twos because Urosh can score it. But you can't have Olivier come on two points and whatever number of rebounds he had. I mean, he was a no-show against Kentucky after playing some of the best basketball point, uh, in his career uh, the last few games. So they can beat you with twos if Olivier shows up, if Urosh shows up, 
if Julian's getting his shots and get to the foul line. Uh, that's I think that's the corrections they have to make. They can't and and the missed layups too. They could have beat Kentucky on Saturday if they just make their layups. Rob, the the the, the Olivier thing's a head scratcher to me. He he was playing so well, and then and I know the rebounding was a was a question, but but he played so well at South Carolina, and, and then it's like the faucet turned off. What what do you make of that one? Um, I I don't know the answer, but it's that's a big I, that's troubling for me if I'm Rick Barnes and I have a senior like that who's played that much basketball that just no shows against you know Kentucky in a game where you know you know with Shebway that, that you're gonna have to have all hands on deck inside and you know Olivia Grant mentioned he had some foul trouble but that doesn't explain just I mean Rick was disgusted about a lot of things and, and he didn't like throw Olivia under the bus the way he he can do some kids but he was pretty clearly disgusted in the post game with, with Olivia more than any other player on the team I and mean, that's the only guy that he really came close to uh you know, go, going all in on, and you know, there, there's a lot of different reasons for you know what happened. But but your your senior power forward that's matched up with Oscar Shebway when he scores two points and, and get, grabs two rebounds, that's that's going to be tough to overcome. And and I wrote this, and I'm not putting it all on Julian. I'm not saying Julian has to be the savior of this basketball team, but that he's got to play up to his ability, which is substantial. And you know, taking two two shots at a game like that where he is, if you're just talking about athleticism and ability, he's one of the most talented kids on that floor and, you know, did not impose his will, was was tentative. And and he's the one guy they have that can really, you know, beat you off the dribble, get into the paint, do what Matt was talking about, get to the free throw line. I mean, Zakai could get in there, but, you know, at 5'7", finishing is not his strong suit, whereas Julian's 6'8", he's long, he's athletic, he can jump out of the gym, he's just got to be more assertive. He doesn't have to score 25 like he did against USC, but if he scores 10 against Kentucky, that's a completely different basketball game. And, and, and am I just – is it just wishful thinking on my part that, that Josiah is going to put it on the floor and shoot a, a 12-foot jump not shot gonna, off the not, dribble? Yeah, not going to happen. That's just that's just not going to be his game. Is, not, is, that, is that kind of where we are after three and a half years? I, well, I mean, he'll do that every once in a while. That was how he got one of his buckets the other day, pulled up for the mid-range, but just generally it's just – I've stopped looking for it. Okay. Well, that's that's I, I I've always thought his game was there, but if it's not there, then to me, Grant, it puts it back on. It, to, to me, it puts a lot back on Olivier because your your other post players you're going to play depending on matchup, right? If you're playing an athletic big man, you're going to play Adu, right? If you got to be a real physical enforcer, it's got to be Euros in there to hammer because Awaka's probably not really ready for that defensively right now. So that puts it – does that not put it back on Olivier as being the one consistent post player for Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, Olivier's got to be their most consistent. I think he's got to be their most productive. He's got to be the guy that they can lean on night in and night out. And 19 from Urosh the other night was great, and I thought a lot of those were tough buckets uh, against Oscar. I feel like a lot of people attack Oscar, and they think he's a defensive liability. I think that's how, how Alabama beat Kentucky by 26 in Tuscaloosa uh, the week before because they just kept attacking Oscar off of ball screens. But you just can't have guys that just don't show up. And it, and it's Olivier. You, you just can't have two points, two rebounds, and a no-show. you you got to have more consistent production. you got to be able to rely on him because, like Rob said, he's your senior. He's your power forward. He's the guy that's played some of the best basketball in his career. You go back to South Carolina and, and Mississippi State before that in Knoxville a couple of weeks ago. He's got to be the guy that, yeah, I mean, they put in Jonas for a little bit um, against Kentucky, and, and Oscar drove right by him and, and scored, and it was just too easy. And, and they got to have more. And, and he's not the guy that's going to give you like he scored 15 against I can't remember South Carolina or Mississippi State one, 
and that's great, but that's not going to happen. You're not going to rely on that night in, night out. What you are going to rely on is you're, you need to be getting, you know, 10 and 6 from Olivier or, or 9 and 7 or something in that range where, where you know what you're getting from your senior power forward. How does this team handle pressure this week? Because you gave away an opportunity at home. You got to hold serve at home in the in the league. Now you got to get it back on the road. Do you think this team feels any pressure this week going on the road? I I think they're pretty good about that kind of stuff, don't you, Grant? I mean, bouncing back and, and kind of tuning out noise. I mean, I, I just I mean, I I could be proven wrong, but I I'll be surprised if they don't come back and play well this week. I mean, I yeah. Hey, I agree. I think this is these are the moments where they play well. They they got humbled. They got embarrassed by a Kentucky team at home. They saw their win streak at home over. Now they get to go on the road. They get to take advantage of a pretty soft SEC schedule to start with. Mississippi State and LSU are not very good basketball teams. They're not playing good basketball right now. My biggest thing is like when when Texas comes to Knoxville on January twenty eighth. That's going to be a top ten matchup. Does Tennessee look tight and look rushed and look? I don't know. Like the. Like they're not the better team when they, they are the home team. They're going to have probably a sellout crowd. It's going to be a big game atmosphere. What do they look like in that kind of game? How do they – because what we've seen from them when they fail in March is it looks like they're tight. They're not making shots. It looks like they're just not ready for that moment. Now when they get that next chance at that big moment, what do they look at? Or what do they look like? Because I don't really think that moment is at Mississippi State or at LSU. You can make big answers this week, and you can respond in a big way. But I, I would be sitting tight waiting for Texas to come here and see how they look in that kind of game. Yeah, I mean that's they got off to an eight zero start. You know what I mean? And, and it's but so you thought this thing's going to go the way you the way it expected to go, but but then when it got into that seesaw deal back and forth that they couldn't that they couldn't get the stops that that they need they couldn't make the plays that they needed. What was that tightness, Rob? What was that a the moment kind of hit some of these guys, or do you think it was just a night where they just didn't make a bunch of shots? I think it was just a night where they didn't make a bunch of shots because you look at the guys who were talking. I mean, you know, Julian struggled, and he's a freshman, but, I mean, guys who have played in huge games, and, and lots of them, Josiah, Santiago, you know, Zakai, just, you know, Olivier. I mean, your, senior, your, your three senior guys who are your core, you know, your core scorers, I mean, just didn't didn't have it. And so I don't, I, I don't think it was a matter of the moment. I mean, I – Maybe with Chris there, they wanted you know, they, they wanted to try and make everything perfect. I, I don't know if that was I – I don't really think that team, this team thinks like that. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. But, you know, I guess you could, you could maybe consider it because Loft, you know, Lofton is around quite a bit. I mean, guys know him. I know, you know, Josiah really respects him a lot. He spent time with Santi, that kind of thing. But I would I, I would not put a lot of stock in, in, in that. They were too big for the moment because, I mean, man, I mean, all of us have been in there in, in that arena. When these during these kids' careers, when there have when it has just been off off the chain, you know, big game whether it's Arizona, Kentucky, you know, Arkansas, Florida. So I I, I don't think I, I think that team is I don't I don't think they get affected like that. Yep, a team didn't play well. And, no, and, I mean I think I think, and I'll give yeah, Calipari credit. Do what? I'll give Calipari credit because I don't, I don't think he's the greatest coach in the world. But that Kentucky team was a wounded animal. Who just gotten punched in the mouth at home by the worst team in the, in the league? They didn't. And one thing we've not even mentioned: they didn't have their starting point guard. Severe Wheeler didn't play. Wheeler is this guy in the, in the SEC, 
And Calipari got his kids to play with a desperate intensity that, that Tennessee just never matched all day. It, it dawned on me today the crazy world we live in where Kentucky beats Tennessee and Kentucky douses their head coach in water in the postgame locker room. Like, I think <laughs> as, as embarrassed and bad, as badly as Tennessee played and, and got out man and out hustled and out everything, that's a, that's a nice compliment that, uh, that Kentucky beats Tennessee and, and they're celebrating with a ice bath in the, in the locker room. That, that is a heck of a statement, isn't it, Matt? When, when all the years of Tennessee and Kentucky, that, 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 that's the, where this thing situated itself Saturday afternoon. Well, I mean, I think what both those guys just said right there, Grant and Rob, you know, you see the, the world that we live in now with them dousing Calipari. But like Rob said, when's the last time that it felt like Kentucky had to come out and play with, you know, desperate intensity to, to win a ball game? against Tennessee. Now, obviously, there's been some big-time matchups, but this this felt like make or break for Kentucky's season. And, you know, they, they came out and did what they needed to do. So, yeah, like Rob said, credit to, to Calipari on that. But it's definitely different than what we've seen in years past. Yeah, that was a circle of wagons game for the Wildcats. That, and, 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 I mean, the noise was from their own people. It wasn't – it wasn't the national people talking about them. It was their own people that were, were that were getting on them, and, and they circled the wagons well. I looked up a stat last night. Kentucky, Tennessee's beat Kentucky five times in Knoxville in the Barnes era. Three of those Kentucky teams were ranked number four. One of them was ranked number 12, I think, one, or no, 17 and 20. The last two Kentucky teams that won in Knoxville were combined 18 and 29 overall because they won during the COVID season when Kentucky won like eight games that year. And then they come in here Saturday, 10 and six, and, and one and whatever, three in the SEC and find a way to win it. So I think Tennessee likes them better when they're they're a little bit more confident and high on themselves than versus uh, punching off the ropes. Well, and Tennessee seems to Rob play better in those moments, right? I mean, that, that's kind of been been their been their mainstay. I mean, you know, the the bigger the if it's a name opponent, the bigger the the better the more talented team, the, the better they seem to play, whether it's at home or on the road. I mean, you look at Kansas, you look at Arizona, even though they lost that game, the hell of a basketball game in Arizona this year. You look at what they did to them last year. You know, it almost feels like they relish that moment more than the moment where they're supposed to be the blue blood, so to speak. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, you know, the, the the number Grant just rattled off about beating Kentucky and Knoxville, I think, I think that's a great one. And, you know, add this team to the list. And, um, you know, the Colorado game earlier this year, I mean, you, you can throw that in there. I mean, when this team has a challenge in front of them, when, you know, they're the hunted or – People say, you know, that they you, you can't do this, or you're a big underdog. I mean, I, they generally respond pretty well. And I'm not saying they're terrible with you know, everything's going great, but they have shown a tendency to slip up in, in these situations. Well, and the thing too, I mean, how many ranked teams lost in college basketball? Inside? I think twelve, depending on which poll you're. I mean, I mean it, it it is a and, and fans have a hard time grasping that, Matt. I mean, they really do. And and I think part of that is just the football mentality that everybody has because if you lose one, it's over. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pushing aside losing this game, but because this is a bad loss for Tennessee, you should have taken care of business at home. But it's not the end of the world because it's basketball, and, and I think fans have to be reminded that reminded of that. And Saturday was a great reminder, not just for Tennessee, but for a bunch of ranked teams around the country. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not South Carolina and Tennessee this this past football season. All of your all of your goals still intact. You 
still have a chance, you know, like Grant said, to go back out, answer some questions in SEC play this week, and then, you know, build right back toward another big contest against Texas. It is a different mindset. It's a different way to think. And, you know, obviously, you know, you don't if, – if you're a fan, you don't want to see your team lose – Anytime they go out, but it, it is a different mindset, a different way of thinking that, you know, sometimes hard to to settle on, um, especially when it's ugly, you know, as that game was. And you're a double digit favorite at home against your rival. Yeah. That looks, I mean, that looks I, just different. college basketball a year ago, kind of in a nutshell, Tennessee went to went to Rupp and got run out of the gym 107 to whatever it was, 79. I think Kentucky shot like 70 percent from the field it's like they never missed. Uh, and from there, Tennessee won 19 of their next 20 SEC games. They won the SEC tournament. So this team can respond and probably will respond. It's just about positioning yourself in March to, to be in the best possible situation in the NCAA tournament, get some good matchups. If you're playing well then and you're playing loose and you're playing confident and you're doing what you can do, um, just just win games then and, and get there and, and see what happens. Is this league Alabama, then a rung down to Tennessee, and then the rest? Is that kind of what, what do you what do you put the league right now? I mean, before Sun, before Saturday, I would have said it was Alabama and and the rest. And now, you know, I, I think that with what you saw, how you saw Tennessee slip up, I think that's fair to say that it's Alabama and the rest. And and you know, Tennessee ha- hasn't played anybody yet. I mean, they've not played an SEC team with a, with a winning record. Am I wrong there? No, no, I mean it's, it's a, and and they won't after this week. They only played seven games and still want to play a team with a winning record in the league. So I think the jury is very much, you know, out on Tennessee until they cy- start cycling through, you know, Alabama, Auburn, and and is Texas A and M for real? I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with what Brent says. Probably Alabama and then Tennessee and then. Probably everybody else. Arkansas's talented, but they've dealt with injuries. They're struggling right now. Kentucky's, who knows where they go from here, how they respond to that win at Tennessee. Uh, Texas A&M, Missouri, I can't figure out. Uh, they go back and forth. It feels like Florida's starting over. LSU's starting over. Um, so, And Tennessee gets Alabama and Knoxville. They don't have to go to Tuscaloosa this year. That's that's going to be uh, later on in the season. So it's, it just depends on if Alabama slips up, if Tennessee slips up from here, if Brandon Miller keeps – uh, being, you know, the best one of the best college basketball players in the country, let alone the best freshman. Yep, and you got a team like Georgia that's not a laydown because they're they're playing right. better than everybody expected them to play. Not great, not a great team, but they're to this point overachieving. So we'll see what they do. And then we know that Auburn has always Bruce Pearl's teams have always been a tough matchup for Tennessee um, for for whatever reason defensively that he he's had. He's had, you know, a lot of success going against Rick Barnes's defenses all the way back to his time at Tennessee when Rick Barnes was at Texas. So plenty of basketball left. It starts for Tennessee on Tuesday night, later tonight in uh, Starkville, Mississippi, as they take on Mississippi State for the second time in a couple of weeks. State plays better at home, but I think there was a little bit of a preseason fool's gold on how good State was, uh, given w- what they played in the non-conference to kind of bolster some defensive rankings. They've struggled in conference play. We'll see if Tennessee can put that together, get it back together, get where they need to be on the glass uh, tonight um, in Startville against the Bulldogs. While basketball is going on, football is also cranked up. we got a couple things going on. The, the transfer portal ends on Thursday. We'll see if anybody else goes in for Tennessee. We'll see if, if Tennessee picks up anybody else. Now, you, don't have, you can pick up somebody from the transfer portal later than Thursday, but Tennessee goes to the classroom on the 23rd. Uh, which is, uh, you know, next Monday. So we'll see if anybody lands there. 
Big picture question here on the transfer portal to all you guys. This is a 45-day window. Is that too big of a window for the portal? Do you, do you think when you look at the calendar and you look at things for coaches, do you think this needs to be tightened down? Does, does it need to? Does the window need to open up later in December? Do you want to close it down before bowl games? How, how do you think the portal calendar, seeing this 45-day window now, how should it be addressed, Matt? I, I still think, like we talked about the other night, the month of December is tough. And, you know – Whenever you open it, it's going to be tough. And whenever you close it, it's going to be tough. But I do think it can be shorter. 45 days is is a long time. There's a lot of, obviously, ongoing situations there. Um, but as we see, you know, Taven Jackson jumps in late and quickly you know, finds a home at Indiana. So I, I don't know, you know, what the NCAA will choose to do with it. Um, but I do think it could be shorter. I do think it could be 30 days. Um, but I think you're going to get a lot of complaints if you try to close it down before bowl games. You know, who who's going to get a chance to see, you know, to step up, you know, if somebody opts out, you know, like Squirrel White, you know, steps in, you know, pretty effortlessly, pretty seamlessly for Jalen Hunt and, and has a big day against Clemson. And obviously Squirrel got to play, you know, a lot this past season. But, for example, you know, if somebody else, you know, didn't have that opportunity, didn't get that opportunity, you know, and had to try to make a decision before the bowl game, what happens and what kind of impact does it have on rosters, you know, during the ball game? What if somebody, you know, bolts that it would have been key, you know, during that ball game? So I don't know. I think it's it's tough to say, but I do think it could be shorter um, than 45 days because you look at the spring window and, you know, I think you're, you're going to see guys, especially at some of these schools that played the later bowl games in the month of December and January. I think these coaches, you know, they were able to carry on conversations and convince some guys to stay through spring. And that window is shorter when it opens back up in the spring. So, you know, I don't you know, 15, 45, 30, I don't, I don't know where you go with it, but I, I think it can be shorter than 45. 30 was the number that came to my head. Uh, as Matt was talking, I think 15 would be pretty intense and pretty short. Now I don't know how to fix it on the calendar because like you guys have talked about, on recent pods, like the, with the signing day stuff, like December is already crazy as it is, but now we're moving forward to more playoff games, more rounds of playoffs where that's going to completely change and intensify December even more because there's going to be more teams uh, in playoff situations and, and hosting playoff games uh, for that matter on their campuses. So I don't know where to put it or how to change it on the calendar to make it easier. Or maybe you just, I know staffs are already huge, but maybe you just grow the personnel side of the staff and and get guys more into player personnel and roster management and and dealing with all this stuff. But at the same time, you're talking about visits and you're talking about just recruiting these guys all over again like you did out of high school. So 30 days is – I think would be – I don't think it's that big of a difference in 45. I think it maybe speeds things up a little bit, but I don't know where to move it on the calendar to make it any easier on anybody uh, involved at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Grant. I think 30 sounds right. And, I mean, I, w- I would like, for the coach's sake, for it to be over. Like, if Tennessee had had, you know, maybe one active week after their bowl game, they could have shut it – the staff could have shut it down and stepped back for, you know, two weeks until this until this junior day. I, I don't know what the answer is, but 45 seems long. And I'm – hover, Matt, and ask you guys this question because I know it's something basketball has run into. You know, they're running out of official visits because the basketball official visits are in a two-year window. And it, they reset this year, but 
the the limit was set two years ago. It's 27 that you can use spread out over a two year thing. And at, at that point in January of 2020, the, the transfer portal really wasn't a factor. Right. And now, you know, think about how many p- transfers you've used official visits on in that two year period. So it's people I've talked to are pretty hopeful that those that number is going to get expanded to take into account. But is is it football dealing with that right now? Is it, what's the number? Fifty six. Yeah, m- m- most football guys aren't used. Most football programs aren't using fifty six visits. But you know, out of a class of twenty five, I mean, most of them. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Because these kids make seven unofficial visits anymore, you look at the official visits that Tennessee used this year, gosh, I would bet 80% of them were victory laps, right? I mean, Tennessee had an official visitor in last weekend. <laughs> and 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 Devin Hobbs, who's basically staying in town and going to school, he's already signed, you know? And so that, that was just kind of a, what, what what's that visit for? You know, the same for, for Spillman that way. So I don't think they're running into that. Here's one of the questions I wonder about the transfer portal. Does the NCAA, should they look at limiting them to maybe three official visits instead of five? I think that's a Does a kid need to take four official visits in seven days? I mean, we're seeing this, Matt, where a kid's on campus 18 hours for an official visit because he's trying to go three places in four days. Mm-hmm. How many of those guys really need five <laughs> official visits? Let's, let, let's be honest here. I'm not calling any of it tampering, but everybody knows everybody in the world of social media, right? So – there's already dialogue taking place. If you don't think Taven Jackson knew he was going to Indiana before he went in the portal, then then I got some oceanfront property for you. I'll, I'll sell out here in Corriton. So th- that's just the world we're in. I, I don't know that you need five official new official visits for transfers, Matt. No, I don't think so either. And yeah, I, like you said, it's the turnaround, you know, 18, 24 hours on campus, getting there, getting back to the airport, trying to get to the next school. That's a lot in and of itself. But, you know, take into account that and, – and there's different kids every year. Like Jared Verse, you know, the Rhode Island tackle this past year, those guys that blew up that didn't really have an initial recruitment around. Like, yeah, I guess it impacts some of those guys a little bit. But most of these kids have seen, you know, a, a majority of these schools. They've either been through there, like you said, on, you know, an unofficial visit at some point or they've been – you know, with their seven-on-seven seven team there to some form of a camp. So they have an idea of, of what's going on and, and, you know, where they want to look. So uh, five's a lot, especially, like you said, to try to fit into such a short window. You know, I, I think three for transfers is, is plenty. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. I know that's going to be part of those things. These things are going to be the topic of conversation because the month of December is such, going to be such a topic of conversation in, in recruiting. Tennessee had a bunch of guys on campus for um, unofficial visits for junior day th- this past weekend. Matt, you, you you broke that down really well in the Rocky Top Rewind. If anybody hasn't watched that, I would encourage you to check that out. We've had we've had stuff on individual guys all year long. Again, big picture here. Feels a little bit like Josh Heupel and, and Rick Barnes, a little bit of similarities in their first couple of years where, where Rick Barnes – 
was it everybody was talking about where are the big names coming from when he was recruiting, right? It was Admiral Schofield, it was Grant Williams. Where are these big names coming from? Then once they had success, then then suddenly these these five star big name guys that the Blue Bloods were also recruiting started showing up on Tennessee's radar. It's not exactly the same, Matt, but it feels a little bit similar with Tennessee football right now, based on the fact they had success this past year. It, you're selling something different in year three, much the way Rick Barnes was selling something different in year three and year four in his program. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, like we talked about last night on the Rocky Top or Monday, Sunday night on the Rocky Top Rewind, the, um, you know, one of the focal points of the junior day and talking to guys, you know, the five-star guys, um, Ron Wingo, Mike Matthews, Williams Wannery, the – Tennessee started to pique their interest in September. You know, they're they're you know winning ball games. They're selling out stadiums, and then that continued. And now you've got that product to point back to, and and Tennessee can sit down and have those conversations with these kids and and show them, hey, you know, this is what we did with Player X, and this is what we think we can do with you. You know, and, and these kids take into account all those things. They look at the you know, rankings of the players. They look at Jalen Hyatt's rankings, where he was, you know, those types of things, and try to compare that out and say, you know, if this staff was able to do this for this guy, what what could they do for me? And, and I think right now that's where you're at, you know, for Josh Heupel going into year three is you're able to get these kids up there, sit down, and, and sell your product instead of your vision now. Rob, it feels similar, right? How many basketball players have you talked to after the first couple of years under Rick Barnes where they talked about player development and how big that that was a factor for them when they considered Tennessee, you know, with their even with their lofty rankings and they had other other blue bloods looking after them. Every every kid that I've talked to that comes on campus is and I'm sure Grant probably is, is the same way. I mean, even even today, they're still showing the before and after pictures of Admiral as a freshman and Admiral as a senior. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and he's not the only one. But, yeah, I mean, they, and, and kids are aware of it. I mean, you know, you get a kid like Keon Johnson, you know, if they can take Admiral Schofield and do that with him, what, you know, what can they do with me? Well, Jonas, they do, you know, same same kind of thing. You know, what can they do with a, you know, with, with a seven-foot-one guy with my skills when they can turn – Grant Williams into a NBA player is getting ready to cash in on his second contract. So that that is a that is a very big thing, and it's um you know when you get that when you get your identity on tape like that in either sport, and you can point to kids that looked like this as a freshman and looked like this as a junior. I mean, I think that that resonates with with football and basketball players for sure. I think one difference is year one, year two of basketball under Rick was a struggle. Like it was it was it was pretty slow at times. And then you look at what, what Heupel did in year one, like, you know, it wasn't a crazy season, but it was a lot of pleasant surprises. It felt like they were moving in the right direction a lot faster than people thought. And then to go from that in year one to year two, being everything they did, 8-0, number one for a week in the first college football playoff rankings, all that stuff. And not only that, you're, you're selling that 11 wins. You're also selling Nico and, you know, a five-star quarterback, a guy that, you know, you, you lost a Heisman candidate. In Hinn and Hooker, but here you go. You're going to hand off the reins here in the not, you know, the not so long future to a guy like Nico, and, and to win that recruitment the way they won that recruitment, and to be able to point to him not only 11 wins, but we got this guy here who's going to re- ready to step in and, and be that man moving forward. Just to 
pick up where Hinnon left off and, and to continue to have that kind of success. Now, not to overlook Joe Milton, all that stuff, whatever is going to go happen in 2023, but it feels like, if anything, there are similarities, but it feels like football is almost accelerated uh, version of what basketball did early on under Rick. Well, and to kind of further on what you were saying there, Grant, yeah, you're, I agree, you're selling Nico, and that was the guy that early on with those 23 recruits helped make Tennessee the the cool school again. But I think another thing that you can point to if you're Josh Heupel and the Tennessee staff is we're not, you know, we, we had the nation's number one offense. You know, we produced a Bolitnikoff winner, but we're more than just an offense. We're trying to build a football program here. And you look back to the 2023 signees, Arion Carter, David Hobbs, Caleb Herring, Shandavian Bradley, all of the defensive backs were really great evals and it continued to climb in the rankings over time. I just think that, you're you're selling a whole product, you know, now. I think when when Josh Hopple was hired, you know, there, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, what what is this? Is this just gonna be Tennessee trying to score points and be competitive? But now you're saying no, it's not that. It's it's a complete product. We're trying to build a full football program. And I think the kids can see that when you look back to to the junior day, you know, and the guys that you had on campus, you know, two top 150 edge rushers, the number one defensive lineman in the class and in Wannery. And then, you know, on the opposite side of the ball, those, you know, offensive high profile type recruits and in Wingo and Matthews who are both, you know, arguably the top receiver in the class. So I I think for me, that's the big thing for Tennessee right now is they're selling the whole product. Well, and, and it's easier to sell when you have tangible proof of what you are and what you're about. And that's something that, it did take Rick Barnes three years to get to that, but when they got to it, it made their sales easier. And it's obviously, you know, an easier sell for Tennessee heading into year three as well. Josh Heupel has an assistant coach to hire. Someday he'll, he'll hire one. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to be in a big hurry. Now, I think there's movement there. I think we're going to see something. I'm not sure if it's going to get hired before the transfer portal window closes or Tennessee goes to class, but it's getting closer there. We'll see what happens. You know, Jeff Ferris from UCLA, his name has been out there. I think it continues to be out there. Austin mentioned that uh, in the um, in the roundtable or in the rewind, and obviously had it on the message board. Then if he promotes within, uh, it's Alex a- Alec Ablin um, as well. We'll see. I-, I don't know that Seth Literal from North Texas is really – I don't know how, how intrigued he would be to, to join the staff. I think he's got some other potential opportunities out there, so we'll see what happens with that. But that gets done, then Tennessee gets ready for another junior day coming up on the 28th of January, so plenty of coverage of that. We've got more coverage of Nico out at the Polynesian Bowl. as um, uh, he, He's out there this week. We'll have full coverage of that. And then later today, you'll want to be locked in here at uh, VolQuest at On3. Final On3 rankings come out for the class of 2023. We'll see where guys move, who's moving, who's shaking for Tennessee. Uh, I would expect there'll be some movement. We'll see what that looks like. That's all coming out later today as well. And, of course, we got plenty of basketball coverage to get you ready for Tennessee and Mississippi State. So a ton of things out there to talk about, a ton of things going on in the world of college athletics at the University of Tennessee. Be sure and check it out at VolQuest.com. Be sure and jump on and subscribe. You promise you won't be disappointed with that. Also, join us on our YouTube channel. Hit that like button on your way out the door after watching this podcast as well. That's going to do it for the Tuesday edition. Don't forget the Mailbag Podcast coming up on Thursday. We'll put the link on the board for you to get your questions in there. That's coming up Thursday with this crew right here. We'll answer your questions, dive into more 
recruiting hoops and football and whatever else is on your mind. That'll be in the Thursday edition. But that's going to do it for this Tuesday edition of the podcast. For Rob Lewis, Matt Ray, and Grant Ramey, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.